you if you're looking for a, a discipline to bring into your life that will deepen and heighten your relationship with God and clarify what our Lord Jesus has accomplished for us as our Redeemer, I would encourage you to uh, focus on Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 13. Let me remind you, chapter breaks in the Bible are not inspired. <laughs> they were put in later by translators to try to help us find our way around in the Scriptures. But chapter breaks are, I frankly, if I was the one creating the chapter break, I would have started chapter 53 with what is 50, 5213, because it's really one large passage, 15 verses. How clear and significant is this passage? This is the prophet Isaiah. This passage, as I understand it, it's very common in Jewish synagogues on every so often to actually read through in a series of that would take probably months reading through the prophet Isaiah. When they read through the prophet Isaiah, they skip this passage. Written 700 years before Jesus' birth, they skip this passage because it can only be about one person and what he has accomplished, and it is the very person they don't want to talk about or acknowledge. It is so clearly Jesus. In fact, when I was in college, where I went to college, Biola College and now Biola University in the greater L.A. area, there was a library on the campus, Davidson Library, which was entirely paid for by a fellow named Davidson who was a Jewish man who had come to faith in Jesus of Nazareth as his Messiah, and he owned the, what was at the time the biggest uh, business in the greater L.A. area having to do with getting rid of the insects in your house, and your property. <laughs> Anyways, he had a nice mansion. And so he would invite, typically invite Jewish people to come and have a good meal at his mansion. And naturally they said yes. And so when they would come in the door and they'd have you know, their introductory time and he would sit them down and say, okay, I'm going to sit you here. I'm going to cross the room and I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to hide my Bible from you so you can't see what part of the Bible I'm reading from. And so he would do that. And then he would say, when I've finished reading this passage, I want to answer two questions for me. Who is it about, and is it from the Old Testament or the New Testament? And he would cross the room, hide his Bible, and read Isaiah 52, 13 through chapter 53, verse 12. And 100% of the time, the, people would the Jewish people would respond, well, that's obviously about Jesus, so it must be from the New Testament. And he would cross the room, they had just given the game away. No, it was from the middle of the prophet Isaiah. That's how clearly, how clear it is. And it is very important for us in this time of year, as we are reflecting historically on the, today we call this Palm Sunday, because Jesus went, entered into Jerusalem as the servant king, not riding a white charger, but riding a colt, the foal of a donkey, a servant beast, because he's coming to serve them. He is their servant king before he can be their conquering king. Otherwise, there will be no inhabitants in the kingdom. <laughs> he's got to come and redeem them. 
That's what Palm Sunday was about and why he rode that colt, the foal of a donkey, that servant beast. But this is about his work of service that we are commemorating in this time. Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, God speaking. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle or startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, 
and he was numbered with transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is what our Lord Jesus did for him. The 700-year description before his coming of what he would accomplish. And as I was reading this, you're reflecting on what Jesus endured. As I read Psalm 22 earlier, you were reflecting on what Jesus endured. And it was all laid out. What was the response of the apostles when Jesus was arrested tried. They denied him. They fled him. They, Even though Jesus had told them personally ahead of time that he would go there, he would be arrested, he would be tried, he would be crucified, and I will rise on the third day. It was like they had never heard those words until they happened. And then they remembered. He told us. He told Why? I will dare say they were actually pushing those words aside. They were so, it was not what they had signed up for. <laughs> they didn't want to hear that. I think there was also a, an aspect of divine deafness that they would remember it in later days that Jesus had told them, but so had Isaiah. So had Isaiah. Isaiah was a man who was called to be a prophet who had no expectation or interest in that. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw into the heavenly throne room, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. I saw the angels, the angels of fire, the seraphim, leading worship, each having three sets of wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. They had no place that they could place their feet down on because it was fire in front of the Lord's throne. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and I, Isaiah said, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. I have actually praised other gods. I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. If you read through the history of Israel, and I would suggest just read through, survey, read through the Old Testament, the history of Israel, most of the time they were in open rebellion against the God of Abraham. I'm a man of unclean lips. I have actually praised other gods, dwelling in the midst of the people of unclean lips, and I am undone, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When the people of Israel came to Samuel, they said, we want a king. They had had judges. They had had men and women anointed by God, lifted up for God by God to resolve his particular issues that arose for 400 years. They had had that format, which was the format from God. And they came to Samuel and said, we demand a king. And Samuel went to the Lord and said, Lord, I have so failed as a prophet and a judge that they are demanding a king. And God corrected Samuel. He said, no, 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 no. You haven't failed. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're king was the Lord. 
And that's what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 6. I saw the king. My eyes have seen the king of Israel, the Lord of hosts. And the Lord called him to be a prophet. And he said, you're going to speak and they will not hear. You're going to speak and they will not hear. You're going to speak and they will not hear. Ultimately, what's going to happen to Isaiah? We don't, this is not recorded in the Old Testament, but from Jewish history, he was ultimately stuffed in a hollow log and sawn in two by order of King Manasseh. And he writes this clearest and on the entire Old Testament, clearest description of Jesus' coming redemptive work. God the Son coming in the flesh and redeeming them. God, thus says the Lord, verse 13 of chapter 52, Behold my servant. God the Father sent God the Son, true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person. He sent God the Son to serve, to be a servant. What was the response of the apostles in the upper room when Jesus washed their feet? They were shocked. How dare you do such a degrading thing to yourself? They had refused to wash one another's feet, but here is their Lord washing their feet. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. What will be my, God the Father's response to God the Son when he has finished his wisdom walk on the planet? He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. But let me give you some details of what's going to be in between. Just as many were astonished at you, God probably referencing Isaiah. Isaiah was a man who had endured not only the way his prophetic career ended, but he had endured degradation. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, his facial features, so his visage was marred more than any man. The soldiers of Herod Antipas beat him. The Romans jammed a crown of thorns down on his head. They beat him. They whipped him. They pulled the flesh off of his back. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Crucifixion was as deliberately painful and shameful a way and prolonged a way of executing people as the Romans could come up with. They didn't invent it. As I said earlier, the Persians, so far as we can tell, the Persians invented it, made it all the way. The Romans actually learned it from the Carthaginians. But the Romans had actually made it more painful, shameful, prolonged than any culture before them. It was designed to put jam fear into the hearts of any potential rebels. This is what's going to happen to you. And typically crucifixion, it would take the crucified person three or four days to die. The only reason Jesus and the two men crucified with him, why they're torment was shortened was because this high holy day was about to begin sundown friday the jewish day is from sundown to sundown sundown on our sundown friday is the beginning of their sabbath day sundown friday to sundown saturday they had to get those men off the cross and into the ground 
before the sun went down because of this high holy day and we don't want the Jews rioting because we're defiling their holy day. Just as many were astonished at you, Isaiah, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle, and my Bible has notation. The word can also be the word startle. Both of them are appropriate. <laughs> the sprinkling of the blood. This is startling. Wait a minute. You mean here is the Lord and King who is also the servant? Kings shall shut their mouths at him. They're finding out that they're supposed to be servants of the people. Not just stomping all over their people. They're supposed to be servants. The true king of kings is the servant of servants. So by the torment he endures, so shall he sprinkle or startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. Wait a minute. This is what a real sovereign, a real king is supposed to look like? Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them. Whoever heard of this sort of king? They shall see in what they had not heard. They shall consider. What? What? We have the expression in Western civilization of public servants. <laughs> Most of the time we hear that expression used of our modern politicians. We kind of roll our eyes and yeah, because yeah, we are, they're really serving us. <clears throat> well, the real king of kings was a real servant of servants. And what they had not heard, they shall consider and it will completely blow their minds. Who has believed our report? Who would actually hear this message of God the Son becoming flesh to become the Redeemer of sinners? Ladies and gentlemen, we are as unlike God as we can possibly be. And yet he sends his son to pay sin's penalty for us. You hear the gospel message and you're going, what? Really? He did this for me? I'm not worthy of that. Well, he says you are to your own shock. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm, the strength of the Lord been revealed? The term arm of the Lord throughout the Hebrew scriptures is an expression of God's strength, God's strength. When Jesus went to the cross, the normal human response to that, oh, look, he is so weak, he can't defend himself in any way, when in fact he is there because of his strength, not his weakness. To whom has the arm, the strength of the Lord, been revealed? For he shall grow up before him. He, God the Son, will go through the pregnancy. He is God the Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Mary was not some king's daughter. <laughs> 
she was some fellow who lived in Nazareth. She was, now she, by the way, she is a descendant of David, as is Jesus' legal father, not actual father, legal father, Joseph. But she's not from the upper crust of the culture. He shall grow up before him. He, God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, shall grow up before him, God the Father, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. This is like, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? What? He has no form or comeliness. Isn't it interesting? Just stop and think for a minute. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There is not one statement of what Jesus looked like in those four Gospels. Which, by the way, is a characteristic of the entire Bible. The only people we know of David that he was ruddy. <laughs> Everything else, we, about these giants, we got some description of these giants. That's it. God restrained himself in when pushing his message through the pen of the prophets. He restrained himself from writing physical descriptions. Why? Because it was the least important thing of these people. What was important was what sort of relationship they had with God, how useful they were to God or unuseful they were to God. Jesus, God the Son, become flesh. We have no physical description of his appearance on earth. Now we got physical descriptions of Jesus in heaven. He has eyes as a flame as of a flame of fire. He has white hair. He has <laughs> uh, believe me, they wouldn't have put him on a cross if he had looked like that when he was walking on the planet, okay? He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. P- people weren't attracted to Jesus because of his physical appearance. They were drawn to him by the work of God the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that came forth from his lips, the beauty of his words and works was what drew people. And even then, it required the work of the Holy Spirit to give them that heart to be drawn to him. It is shocking. In John's Gospel, it even says Jesus is in Galilee. He is surrounded by people who call themselves his disciples. And as he lays out greater depth of who he is to them, his disciples, disciples, disciples draw back and say, this is really too hard to get our minds wrapped around. And they stopped following him. When he laid out the full reality of who he was and what he would accomplish. That's just way too big. This Nazarene fellow in redeeming us Galileans. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Galilee? Galilee? Really? He is dis- there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is desp- despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. Despised means devalued. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. We didn't place any value on him. Surely he has borne our griefs. That cross that he was nailed to 
was our cross that we should have been nailed to. That wooden altar. He became sin for us. He became the impersonate, the repository of every sin of the human race from the fall of Adam until the end. He became the one carrying that burden and God the Father responded to him with all of the lake of fire experience due to the entire human race for an eternity was poured out on God the Son on the cross. How is that even possible? That what would take the human race an unending eternity to pay off their debt, that he is able to pay. He was put on the cross about 9 a.m. and and gave up his spirit into the hands of the Father about 3 p.m. So he was on that cross for about... And he bore, paid off the debt of the human race in six hours on the cross. Why? Because his value, who is he? He is God the Son. He is full deity and full humanity. And I've stated this repeatedly because it's important for us to understand. He's not half man, half God. He's fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. I'm quoting the Nicene Creed here, by the way. And because of the value of his person, his value is in etern- of eternal measure. Therefore, in the span of those six hours on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., he is able to pay off the sin debt of the human race for an eternity and say it is finished. It's paid in full. Thus giving his Holy Father complete freedom to forgive us because our sin debt has been paid. That's what the word forgiveness means. Forgiveness is actually a financial term. It means forgiving someone's debt. That's the initial place where that term was used was in the financial community. Well, our sin debt has been paid off, but you don't get the benefit as a fallen member of the human race until you're lifted up by God and he calls you out of your tomb, out of place where you are dead in trespasses and sins. He calls you out. He gives you life. He gives you light. And you suddenly discover yourself to be in his kingdom. (laughs) That's exactly what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you highly religious fellow... (laughs) You Pharisee of Pharisees, you member of the Sanhedrin, you rabbi, the rabbi of Israel, you must be born from above. It's heaven's initiative that gets it done. Ladies and gentlemen, that should incite us to share the gospel like crazy because my job is speaking words. God's job is giving them understanding in life and are you willing to stand, uh, if, if, if you knew, if you, would you go out to the graveyard if God said, okay, uh, Mark, okay, Ronnie, go out to the graveyard. I'm going to put on a show for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empty every grave. <laughs> would you be willing to go for that uh, experience? That's what happens when we share the gospel with people 
and they allow God to embrace them in his mercy, they are at, they're receiving a gift. By, they're holding out their empty hand to receive that gift. That's, that's the measure of our faith. <laughs> and then he gifts us with what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Surely he has borne our griefs, not his, not griefs that he earned, deserved, ours. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, inflicted. He saved others, himself he cannot save, said Annas and Caiaphas, standing at his feet, mocking him. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was being wounded for the transgressions of Annas and Caiaphas who had engineered his legal murder. He is actually paying their debt. And they're mocking him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, the chastisement due to us was laid upon him. And that brings peace to us. The conflict, the warfare that was between us and the holy God has now been removed. The chastisement that would bring peace to us was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We are made whole. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And I've made this point before. Let me tell you, whenever in the scripture we are compared to sheep, the people of that era knew that was no compliment. (laughs) Sheep were the dumbest of the dumbest of the dumbest livestock. If there was a way of getting themselves in trouble, they would find it. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's what sheep will do. They will go astray. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have gone the direction we wanted to go instead of the direction the shepherd was leading us. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He laid the guilt of our sin upon his son on the cross and then measured out to him what we deserved. He was oppressed, meaning he was given an unjust trial. But did you know that it was illegal in Israel to do a trial at night? And they tried Jesus at night, and they brought, they had coached these witnesses, and when they came to public testimony, they blew it. <laughs> they finally brought him to Pilate, and Pilate, I find nothing wrong with this man. I'm washing my hands of the blood of this just man. Jesus, his worst enemies, who were the priests that led in the examination of Passover lambs at that very time, had examined Jesus, and when Pilate said, what are you accusing him of? They said, you just crucify him. We aren't accusing him. You just crucify him. They had declared him innocent. His worst enemies declared him innocent. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. What did Pilate say to him? Aren't you going to answer their accusations? Jesus said nothing, said nothing, said nothing. Finally, they accused him of declaring himself to be the king of the Jews. Oh, well, okay, they're saying you're, you claim to be king of the Jews. Well, yes, they did get that right. 
And then they accused him of declaring himself to be the son of God, which really freaked out Pilate. Is that true? Yes, that's also true. Other than that, he did not answer any of their accusations. He is led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And yes, when you are shearing sheep, it kind of puts them into a state of shock, and they don't make any noise. Don't make any noise. They don't bleed out at all. He was taken from prison and from judgment. He's given an unjust trial. And who will declare his generation? It looks as if he's done. This is the end of him. We completely are dealing with him. We're getting rid of this guy and all of his disciples. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. What did the Jewish leadership think? We've got it done. Ha ha ha. Oh, Wait, on that Sabbath, that Passover Sabbath morning, oh, wait, yikes. He said he was going to rise from the dead. And they ran to Pilate and said, Pilate, 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 you got to put a guard around the tomb because we believe that his disciples may come go and try to steal the body and then they'll claim that he rose from the dead and it'll be a worse situation than we got right now that we thought we solved and so Pilate said okay he sent them 16 soldiers apparently and they sealed the tomb what does that seal mean by the way they put this wax seal on the tomb between the the stone that was rolled across and the tomb is if that seal gets broken those Roman soldiers die. That is to incentivize them to not sleep. They only had to stay awake from Saturday to Sunday. 16 soldiers who would be executed if they didn't stay awake. Well, in fact, they did stay awake. What happened? they saw an angel coming down who was flashing lightning. And they all fainted. The stone was rolled away. By the way, the angel rolled the stone away so that they could see Jesus had already left the tomb. And then the women came. And the Roman soldiers, when they came to themselves, when they woke up, they ran off, not to Pilate, but to the Jewish religious leaders. Oh, no, 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 no. We saw an angel coming down, flashing lightning, and Jesus is gone. And what did the Jewish leadership do? They paid them lots of money to tell the people, while we were asleep, While we were asleep, his disciples came and stole the body. Well, if you were asleep, how do you know what happened? None of it makes any sense. It's all really dumb. But it's all they had. It's all they had. Jesus rose from the dead as he had said he would. On the third day, the stone was rolled away. The women came and the angel announced to the women... He is risen, as he said he would. Tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, given an unfair trial, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? Okay, it looks like it's all over. For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, crucified between two criminals who admitted to one another, we deserve what we're getting. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. This is written 700 years before the events. What happened with Jesus' body? It was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin who was given permission by Pilate, he and Nicodemus received the body of Jesus, wrapped it in linen with spices, and placed him in Joseph's tomb. With the rich at his death, because, why? Because he had done no violence, he had finished the work. The degradation can now stop. So he's placed in the tomb of a rich man because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, God, has put him to grief. What did Jesus say? Quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he knew why, but what do we do when we are in extreme torment? Even when we know the reason, the measure of the torment causes us to say why. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he, God, shall see his seed. He'll see the outcome. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You will receive the full benefit that Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. What does he say? The sixth of his seven statements from the cross to Telestai. We translate it, it is finished. It was the marketplace and the court system term for paid in full. Their sin debt had been paid off. And all they have to do to receive the full benefit is hold out an empty hand to receive that scroll that says to Telestai. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He, God the Father, shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Jesus can authentically cry out, it is finished, it's paid in full. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. I'm just going to share something with you folks that's just one of my own... My two favorite words for what Jesus accomplished for, on the, for us on the cross are the words redemption and justification. Salvation is such a stretchable word. It's, it's actually used in the New Testament, well, the entire Bible. And I mean, 
as Peter is sinking in the water, because he takes his eyes off Jesus and starts looking at the surroundings, he starts sinking in the water. Jesus, saves me, save me. Well, he's not talking about eternal redemption. He's talking about not drowning. Okay, you were redeemed. He is our redeemer. I kn- Job 19, 25 and 26. I know that my redeemer lives, the one who bought me back out of the slave market of sin. Justification is being taken from a place of rightful condemnation to a place of rightful welcome. I have position God has given in me before him matches his own holiness. So I prefer the words redemption and justification because it really are, they're clearer terms of what Jesus accomplished for us. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I, God the Father, will divide him a portion with the great. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28? All authority, all power in heaven and on earth has come to me. God the Son, which means heir. That was the point of the word son in that culture. means the full heir of the estate. He's the only begotten son. And he's stepping into the fullness of his inheritance. He, God the Father, shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He will step into the fullness of his inheritance. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. We're going to step into kingdom blessing that belongs to Jesus, but he's parceling out to us. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He got the job done that I sent him to do, which was so shocking in its reality in its depth, in its fullness, that even the angels who have access to the very throne of God, even the angels step back and are shocked and stunned because they find out something about God that they as angels never fully knew before. This is a God of love, mercy, grace. And he is gladly measuring out that fullness of his inheritance earned for our sake. He loves loving. God loves mercy. He loves mercy. He doesn't have mercy reluctantly. He does it gladly and generously. And he is fully free to be generous in his mercy because of what his son accomplished for us on the cross. It gives the Holy Father perfect freedom. Perfect freedom. 